Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, the TDN Podcast. Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. to the TDM Fantasy Podcast, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and again, no Jake Arians, he's not going to be around the rest of the week, he had uh, knee surgery, so hopefully Jake's feeling better, uh, you know, when you play in the NFL and you're a kicker, you tend to have a little bit of injuries, and he's been playing a lot of golf on those injuries, so I think uh, I think that knee's finally going to be better, and he's probably still going to get his butt kicked on the golf course by his dad, but that's okay, that's alright, Jamie. Yeah, I don't think he's draftable now. No, I don't think he's draftable. Yeah, not, it, not in too many draft. injury concerns, yeah. a lot of character concerns. A lot of character concerns. I don't think we can draft Jake Arians right yeah. now, so we'll avoid him at all costs in your fantasy <laughs> football league. Uh, today's episode is the mailbag episode. We got a lot of great questions um, from everybody on Twitter. Listen, if we don't get to your questions today, continue to send them to us on social media. Uh, you can send them to our actual Twitter account, which is at TDNFantasy underscore. You can send them to me at the underscore sports page with an I. Um, I, I've been collecting them, taking them all in. I have a feeling that over the next two weeks, you guys are going to continue to send us questions. And what we'll do is at the end of every podcast, we'll probably get to, uh, five of the hottest topics because there's a lot of questions coming in about a lot of the same players. And just to be perfectly clear, if we don't answer your question today, it's a personal attack against you. Yes. We hate you. We think you're stupid. Your question's stupid. Probably your family is stupid too. We really don't – like you should unfollow us. Uh, That's how much we hate you. So if we don't get to your question, I want you to know that we personally decided against it and you. Uh, hope you can sense the sarcasm over the microphone. Uh, we are going to kick things off with one that I know should probably get Jamie fired up pretty early, uh, and uh, and me too because I'm 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 bored with Jamie on this one. This one comes from at Walk on You. How quickly do you take Noah Fant, Jamie? I don't. Yes. Uh, he is not in my top 200, which means in a standard 12-team league, any point scoring uh, scenario where you're only playing one tight end, he's not draftable for me. Uh, he's somebody, again, you keep an eye on there. There's a lot of those guys outside that top 18 or 19, which you could see on the draftnetwork.com that, you know, the rookies are all kind of in that group with the Jeff Swains, Will Disley's, Dallas Goddard's, those kind of upside plays. Is there some upside with Noah Fant? Sure. But I think a lot of that upside is just the fact that we don't know what it is more than we know he's going to be good. Um, you know, I've talked about a lot on the show about the Joe Flacco tight end targets if you average over the last five years when he was the full-time starter, he targeted the, t- the number of targets a tight end would get at that position was about 12th or 13th in the NFL. So that's assuming Noah Fant is always going to be the number one. That's going to assume that he maintains health. That's going to assume the coaching staff trusts him. Rookie tight ends typically don't make a major impact. We've seen it with Rob Gronkowski. We saw it with Evan Ingram when every Giants player was hurt. We don't typically see it. So he is not somebody that I'm drafting at all. If you want to draft him super late because you have a feeling – it's your team. And I always say if you've got a gut feeling and you have a you know, you think there's gonna be the guy for you, you go out and take a chance on them. But to me, I think this Noah Fan hype is way out of control in fantasy circles. Yeah, I, I just there's there's a lot of risk involved here and I'm I'm the question is coming from somebody who's also a Huskers fan, so I'm betting they're a Broncos fan, because that's pretty pretty uh pretty common in the western side of the state. If you're a you're a Husker fan, the closest team is a Broncos fan. Listen, I get it. You love your team, you love your squad, but you want to win in fantasy. And Noah Fan, if you're in a 10 or a 12 or even a 16-team league, isn't a guy that you need to be targeting in your draft. Now, listen, if he 
has a good week one and you want to take a chance and put him in and play and plug and play like we've talked about with tight ends, I think that's a realistic option if you like him in certain weeks. But going out and wasting draft capital to get him in an early round, yeah, not not for me. Yeah, I mean, look, look the Ravens tight ends under Joe Flacco had – Mixed bag of success. They had that one. It was a Dennis Pitta, I believe, yeah, that had like Dennis an 86 Pitta. catch season that nobody remembers. I don't think that's going to happen here with Noah Fant. They have other tight end options there that are going to be on the field a lot. We haven't heard Vic Fangio really praise Noah Fant's play um, a lot. I like Noah Fant long term in terms of a talent on a team. I think that's yeah. a great pick and a great fit on a team in years two, three, and four when you're getting to the beyond Joe Flacco years because they're going to have to bring in another young QB at some point. Maybe it's Shulak. Maybe that's going to be your guy long-term. Maybe it's somebody else in the draft. I like that player there, but I think him being there and also now Emmanuel Sanders being there, I think that's going to hurt his value. There's only so much that can go around, and now the middle of the field got a lot busier. I'm, I'm just, again, to me, yeah, that was the, I, I that just was can't the, take him. You're, yeah. If you're taking him, you're saying he's one of the 12 or 13 best tight ends in your not. league, and I can't possibly make that argument. Yeah, and also the the last point Jamie brought up, Emmanuel Sanders is back. So the, the thought process behind a lot of this fan hype was that, you know, Emmanuel Sanders might not be out there. He might not be playing. We saw him in a preseason game. He will be playing. All right, next question here comes from at Trouble on Twitter. This is, who is the one player that will have the biggest fall in points between this year and last. That is an easy one for me. That is Eric Ebron because he was a top-tier tight end last year, and I do not think he is going to be anywhere near. We've talked about this at nauseum, it feels like, where we've told you, do not take Eric Ebron. He's not going to be the guy he was last year. Uh, another candidate for that that I saw this morning is potentially Antonio Brown, seeing as he was the number one overall wide receiver in po- number one or number two in points number, per, number two per, per game. Number two in points per game. I don't think he ends up sniffs anywhere near that top five. So those are those are probably the two that come to come to the top of my mind right off the top. I, I think it's when you look at from last year to this year and in dramatic fashion, it's probably going to be Ebron if things shake out the way we think with Jack Doyle. Uh, anybody else on your list, James? I'm trying. I'm trying to pull up last year's numbers real quickly because I've been so you know dialed into dialed into in. this year that I really have kind of like my projections and stuff from last year are just you know all over the place. So I'm actually going to give me let me give me a, a couple seconds here to kind of look this up. But I mean, I, I agree that I, we talked about Eric Ebron him dropping significantly. Uh, I mean, heck, it could be Melvin Gordon or Ezekiel Elliott if, I was gonna if, say, if the they miss two, out the, over the, the season. The other two pretty, you know, significant ones here that you look at is is Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott. If for whatever reason there is any type of scenario where either one of these guys misses significant time, obviously, if that happens, that is going to be the type of thing that would give them a dramatic fall off. I don't anticipate that happening. And if they're playing, I don't care where they're playing. I don't think either one of those guys is a candidate for this. And, and I think two more guys to look at. One is the one I think is feels fairly likely, and that's Kenyon Drake. Yeah. He's hurt right now. Yeah. I'm not sure he's going to win back that starting job right away from Kalen Balaj, even when he comes back. Another name to kind of just keep an eye on as we get later in the season. I just lost him for a second here. Is um, I'm a little concerned about what Tariq Cohen's production is going to be like. Yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be on this most dropped off list, but because I think he's still going to be productive. But the obvious answer here to me, it's Kareem Hunt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on a, per, a points per game basis, I think even the eight games or however it would be maybe seven max fantasy games that he would play, it's going to be significantly less than the 
you know, the 20 points per game that he's been putting up over the last few years. Yeah, that's obviously not going to happen. All right, this one comes from at stove underscore L on Twitter. Level of concern on Keenan, on Keenan Allen's current injuries. Still a good option at the 2-3 turn in PPR. I would put it at a 3 out of 10 concern okay. for Keenan Allen. I still have him in the second round as my number 19 overall player. I understand if you want to drop him a couple spots from that. The issue is, is I still have guys like Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon behind him. So, I mean, those guys are going to go ahead of him. At least Elliott will um, in drafts. So, I'm perfectly fine with him there at that 2-3 turn, I think. Seems like good value for Keenan Allen. And and his injury history, and I look back at this because somebody on Twitter pointed this out to me, that his injury history was really bad a couple years ago. He's been relatively healthy the last two seasons. They seem like he's going to play week one. There are vet- with veterans, I'm not really terribly concerned about them not getting into preseason action as long as they're 100% healthy come week one. If he is still, li- if that injury is still lingering in week one, I'm going to be concerned. He's going to be out there. He's going to be questionable all week. He's going to practice late in the week and he'll be out there. But I don't really care that he's not playing any snaps in the preseason. He's got plenty of snaps. He's got plenty of chemistry. The offense is the same. The quarterback's yeah. the same. I'm not worried about that. So I'm not really dropping him all that much in my rankings. Plus, I think there is start to get into a drop after that where I like the Minnesota wide receivers who I have both ranked next, but they're both not going to finish in the top 12. They're just not. And I just, I just can't pick which one is going to get there. And they both, if they're going to run the ball more in Minnesota, concern me. So I do think there's a gap in terms of where you're going to get value after Keenan Allen. So I'm still happy taking him there. Yeah, the 2-3 turn seems like a good spot for, for Keenan Allen. Uh, this one comes from Kay Masterman. This is a... This is a very targeted question to me. Can I draft a team of all bears, Paige? Uh, Yes, you could. No, you should not. Uh, Moving on, because I love love you, Casey, but uh, please do not do that. Uh, I I know you're a Seahawks fan, too, and I think you're just trying to rile me up this morning. Uh, This one comes from at Mason Knorr on Twitter. Is drafting Derrick Henry as a starter buying too high or just right? Um, I'm assuming a starter, meaning you're going to start him as an RB1 or an RB2, uh, potentially as an RB1. Um, it's definitely not an RB1. Well, definitely not an RB1. One. So I somehow inexplicably became a Derrick Henry owner in oh, my, my fantasy boy. league. Now this is fun for me. Um, now I'm playing him in my flex spot. He's actually my third or, or actually technically, That's a good he's option, technically my fourth running back. I have two flex spot leagues. He's my fourth running back. Yeah, so that I love. I have him ranked number 23 right now among my running backs, which is a low end RB2. I think if you went receiver, receiver early and you're kind of scrambling at the other positions, um, I think he's okay option as you as you're running back too. I do have a little concern about his leg injury. Doesn't seem like it's going to be long term. He did practice yesterday, uh, but again, there are some concerns there. We have, we have seen these injuries linger, and I, again, I still worry about game script being an issue for Derrick Henry and this Titans team because I don't expect them to win a lot of games. I don't expect them to be winning many games going to the fourth quarter either. So I think Deion Lewis is a strong play, but. I would rather him in a flex spot, but if you have to have him as an RB2, I think you can survive. As an RB1, absolutely not. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys that's being talked about pretty glowingly by a lot of fantasy analysts that makes me a bit concerned because I know we like what he did in the last few games, but you have to take the whole sample size of Derrick Mm -hmm. Henry and, oh, by the way, the fact that Deion Lewis is there now um, into account, and I... I assume that you mean an RB1 or an RB2, and I just I wouldn't feel comfortable really having him as either one. If you're in a 16-team league, he's going to be an RB2 for you. For sure. You. That, that makes sense. In a 10-team league, it's a different scenario, so it's always hard to decipher what you're talking about because I don't know how your league breaks out, so I want to 
qualify that by saying if you're in a 10-team league and there's only 20 running backs, RB1, RB2, probably not. 16-team, yes, that's yes. that's where it makes sense. All right, at TimDeBeard24 on Twitter, uh, does Evan Ingram playing most likely for an awful offense scare you away from him? He could be their primary receiver this year, but I'm very wary taking players on bad offenses after getting burned in the past few years. A uh, bunch of people weighed in on that and are really excited to hear our answer. Yeah, that's a great question because yep. there are some players that I'm much more concerned about. Here's why Evan Ingram playing on a bad offense doesn't scare me, because Evan Ingram is about target share. He's an incredibly inefficient player, at least he has been so far. Think about him as the Jarvis Landry of tight ends in with his production per target is not very great, but his target share has always been the thing that propels him up. What made Evan Ingram a star his rookie year was having nobody else around them. Yes. Was having everybody hurt. I think like having everywhere. Brandon Marshall was hurt, and Sterling Shepard was hurt, and Ola oh, Beckham no. was hurt. Yeah, the whole team was everybody hurt. was hurt, and he got a lot of the target share. Does look like Sterling Shepard's going to play Week One, but Golden Tate's not going to be around for a while. There are really no other options there. Saquon Barkley's still going to catch ninety balls if he's healthy, but. I like the fact that he is going to get a ton of targets in that offense. That ball isn't going anywhere else. And he's probably their number, I'd probably say the number two pass catching option behind Saquon Barkley right now. Yes, you do have some concern late in the season if they switch to Daniel Jones and Golden Tate is back, you know, where he falls there. But the tight end position is so crazy that I would still rather take a guy that's going to get a ton of target share on a bad offense than a guy that's going to get a small target share on an average offense. Now, what we don't know about this in, in, in this question is how early you're taking Evan Ingram, yeah. right? Now, I, I think for this, are, are we scared of that? I mean, you have to always be concerned about a bad offense, but as Jamie and I have mentioned in prior podcasts, just because you're on a bad offense doesn't mean there's not going to be fantasy points to be had. There's still going to be people that are going to eat in those offenses because there's still going to be points to be scored. And Evan Ingram is going to be a big focal point of this offense. So I think you have to take that into account. You also have to understand that when we say we like Evan Ingram, that means we like him as a top 12 probably well, he's, he's number five for me. Exactly. Uh, and, you and like him a I, lot. I would take him in the early seventh round. I mean, if you if you want to say, hey, you know, I have – Henry Ingram and Howard all right next to each other at the beginning of the seventh round in my rankings. If you want to say, hey, you know, I feel more comfortable taking O.J. Howard because of his offense, that's fine. I, I, I think O.J. Howard has a higher talent level. I also – there are a lot more mouths to feed in Tampa Bay. But any of those guys are fairly interchangeable for me at that four through six spot at the tight end position. That's the area I would probably would target this year because I still think you can get one of those guys – at a better value than you're going to get somebody in the top three, which is the, the Kurtz, Kettle, and uh, Kelsey's of the world. All right, moving on. This one comes from Kegger underscore 57. Is Dalvin Cook worth pick number eight? I have him number nine, so yes. Very close. Uh, yep. Dalvin Cook is my number, I think my number five running back right now. Uh, I'm really high on him. A lot of it's, again, Zeke's not in the top five anymore. Melvin Gordon's not in the top yeah. five anymore. Have to have to bring that up. David Johnson's not in my top five anymore. I, I, I've talked about it a little bit in my article. I, from multiple people in the know yep. that don't talk to each other have told me that basically the same level of concerns they have about the way David Johnson's practicing, finishing runs, and whatnot. That scares me, concerns me. I raise my, I dropped David Johnson down my rankings a bit, raised Chase Edmonds a little bit. Again, I'm not dropping David Johnson out of the first round, but you have to consider that. So now all of a sudden these other running backs become more interesting. And look, Dalvin Cook has an, has an extended injury history. I we know, know that. that. But the offense is going to run through him. They yeah. want it to run through him. They're going to let it run through him. And when he's been on the field, he's been a damn good player. 
I'm a Dalvin Cook owner in my in that auction league. I like him a lot. I would probably still take one of those wide receivers there, but or you know one of the one you. of the top three wide receivers are Todd Gurley there, but. We're talking a one pick difference. I'd be perfectly okay with you taking Dalvin Cook yeah, we, inside I, the top ten. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement, and I know Jake, even though he's not here, would be in agreement because he's a big fan of Dalvin Cook this year. All right, at Charlie Johan seventeen, is Damian Harris worth a gamble with my last pick or not? Sure, because I think Sony Michelle is a, is an extreme injury risk, and I, when Sony Michelle's on the field, I don't think Damian Harris is going to have much of a role. I think it's more likely that Rex Burkhead takes three, four, five carries away from Sony Michelle when he's healthy than Damian Harris does. But Sony Michelle has these knee problems. He had him he had this it's scoped in the offseason. They could always pop back up. We have seen this happen with him and we've seen this happen with other running backs. If that does happen, Damian Harris can step right into that role and have a lot of success. He's basically does what Sony Michelle does. So in the last round of your draft, absolutely, even if you don't own Michelle. Uh, good, good transition here because the next question is about Sony Michelle. So this one comes from Matty Ice 626. Will Sony Michelle be a viable fantasy running back this season? So he sent us a screenshot of his team. He is his running back too. So for context, okay. right? he's, he's not his, his first running back is James Conner. His second running back here. He has slotted as, as Sony Michelle. He also has Kenyon Drake sitting on his bench. So for context, Jamie, do you like Sony Michelle as an RB2 here? If I had to, he's my yeah. number 24 running back, so he's literally the last Borderline. last player yeah. on that RB2 list. I will say this. There are a few players that I just flat out have to tell you my rankings are going to be wrong. Sonny Michel's not going to finish the year as a number 24 running back. If he stays healthy all year, he's a top 15 player and probably a low-end RB1. If he's not healthy, he's not finishing in the top 40. So you just have to understand that it's how much do you want to pallet the risk potential there. There are a lot of options there that I don't think are going to take away from him when he's fully healthy – but if he's banged up, I think they will. And the concern is is that if this is a guy that's not practicing in the middle of the week, not practicing Wednesday and Thursday, maybe banged up a little bit, that they create a game script that has him with maybe half the touches he would normally have. Fully healthy, they're going to use him. They're going to run him into the ground because he's a really good talent. But I just have a lot of concerns about him staying on the field or being cautious if he starts to get banged up in the season with other tangible, strong running backs there. James White's got his role already carved out, but Rex Burkhead's going to be annoying for people who own Sony Michelle. Yeah, Damian Harris, if Michelle is out, will be a, a big factor. I don't know if Damian Harris is going to play special teams, so he might be a guy that's inactive a lot of those weeks. But I, I would be nervous. So Yeah, it's a Patriots running back room. Listen, I'm, just, this I'm is, nervous. And this, is a, and this is a guy who we know has injury concerns, has, has things coming into the season already – uh, you just got to pay attention to that stuff. Maybe you go out and get somebody on your bench. Maybe you go draft. This is a different guy. Maybe yeah. you go draft Damian Harris as, as just in case you, and, and have him as a handcuff, right? I, I mean – I wouldn't take him in the first four rounds. Like if you want to take him in the in the fifth round, early fifth round, Michelle, I'm fine. But I, I can't take him in the first four rounds in a 12-team league. All right. This one comes from Jay Killinger on Twitter. He wants to know, he is in a 10-team standard league. I have the ninth pick in a snake draft. Who should I keep? Julio Jones would cost me a first-round pick, Gurley a second-round pick, Mike Evans a third-round pick, Kelsey a fourth-round pick. My homer would be Carrion Johnson for an eighth-round pick. Hashtag one pride. Um, so so, it, so he can keep any of those guys, but it's going to cost, cost him, him the round pick. Cost him that round pick. Obviously, so, K- Carrion Johnson is the best value, but I'm not sure that's the player I would keep. I, I mean, think that's the worst player on that ninth list, Ninth overall pick, and you get Julio Jones? Probably – Probably, probably. I mean, that's your that's your number one pick right there. 
at nine. Yeah, that's, I, that's I, how he's. I mean, at that's it. that you're getting at value there. Uh, Todd Gurley is a second round pick. Kind of, kind of like that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it depends on what you feel. I have Todd Gurley in my as my number four overall player right now. Yeah, like you I, and I are both. I, I, really- I'm way up on Todd Gurley, so that'd be the guy I would keep. But I understand if you want to keep risk averse. The reality is, is Julio Jones is going right about where you're keeping him. Todd Gurley is probably going right about where you're keeping him in most yeah. leagues. Travis Kelsey's going around or two greater than. I just to me like where do I, I have carry on Johnson a standard league. I get, I mean, he's going in the third round of standard leagues right now. So I guess that's your best value. But I got to kind of see what else is being kept. So if you keep on Johnson, who else is available for you? Yeah. Because what are you going to get with that ninth pick? Because you can get you can get full value with that ninth pick with Julio Jones. So yeah. I'd I would I would take either I would either keep Julio Jones there or I would keep Todd Gurley. I play in a in a keeper league like this. Yeah. And it's slim pickings by the time you get to these guys. So yeah, you like value, but you also have to understand that then by the time you get to your ninth pick, those guys are probably going to be gone. And then your first pick was Carry On Johnson, and that's not a great pick in with your first pick. So it, it's it's hard to it's hard to know because we're not there drafting for yeah, you. Yeah, I kind of got to see what the value is there. So I, but, I, I understand wanting to keep your assuming you're going to get a top twenty player with that first pick, then I, that's where I would lean to take lose your second round pick for Gurley or yeah. lose your fourth round pick or whatever it was for Kelsey. Yeah, that's those are those are all pretty good options there. All right, this one comes from Aw underscore Shiznit, the very interesting uh, Twitter handle we got going on. PPR Dynasty, who do I keep? Damian Williams, Chris Carson, or Tariq Cohen? I think I got to go to Chris Carson here. I agree. I think he I, – I like Damian Williams a lot, but I also like his situation more than I like the player. And I have liked the player more than most people. But you do have to be concerned that long-term, that any of you just drafts a running back in the second round next year and all of a sudden we're going, oh, no, what do we do with the, at, in the backfield in Kansas City? I think Chris Carson is – I mean, this is the second year in a row Chris Carson has really impressed that coaching staff. I don't care where they drafted Rashad Penny. He'll have some sort of a role there. Yeah, it's Carson's just, beat him out twice. Yeah, it's it's not going to be the like Chris Carson's the guy in Seattle, guys. I can't make that any more clear. Yeah, like it, it will be Chris Carson. I know he's not the greatest PPR back. I, they say they want to throw the ball to him more. Believe it when I see it. We throw yeah. that with Tony Michelle. We hear that with all these guys. When I see it, and I see it, they've actually game plan around it. Then I'll get more excited. But I think he's the safer bet long term. Uh, Tariq Cohen, I have concerns about what his long-term prospects are going to be. He's a tremendous player, and he's a great player for the Bears, but I think they're they're going to – he's going to slowly start to transition into a better football player than fantasy player. Just the way they're going to use that offense, I, I think his carries are going to start to go way down. I don't, I'm not sure why you're taking David Montgomery or Mike Davis off the field to hand it to Tariq Cohen. Yeah. Expect him to split out wide a bunch more. Expect him to have a lot of big plays. Uh, he's a dynamic player, but long-term, I think his role is going to start to shrink a little bit which is probably good for the Bears and not good for Tariq Cohen fantasy owners. Yeah, if you pay attention to what's coming out of Bears camp, you would you would have a little bit of concern there with Tariq Cohen because I think from a football perspective, it's a good thing for the Bears. Um, it's a good thing for Tariq Cohen probably in his short, very small frame, yes. right, that he's not going to be taking on a, a predominant role continually over – it's good for his longevity, right? If you're a fantasy owner – that's not great, yeah. right? And and I, I I would tell you that obviously I pay very close attention to the Chicago Bears. The fact that David Montgomery and Mike Davis are going to play a part 
a huge part in this offense in that running back room should concern you about Tariq Cohen and his value from a fantasy perspective. And we've been saying this all offseason. You have to think about this from a logical point of view. When are you pulling Mike Davis and David Montgomery off the field to give it to Tariq Cohen between the tackles? Like, you're just not going to do it very often. Uh, He's dropped out out of the first five rounds for me. I take Tariq Cohen around six. Probably won't be there, but he's still going to have a role. He's going to have boomer bust weeks, but I don't think the consistency is going to be there. I mean, I owned Tariq Cohen last year, and it it was an awesome find. For sure. But this is a whole different situation. It's going to be very different, and there are going to be, I think Jamie hit hit the nail on the head here. There are going to be weeks where he potentially scores a ridiculous because they're going to catch a 67 yard touchdown yes. and you're going to go like, Oh, here, here it is. That's, but- that's going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to happen because they're, they are going to get, and I use the word funky on purpose. They are going to get funky with what they do with Tariq Cohen. He is going to be utilized yes. all across the field. And there are going to be weeks where, Oh yeah, you have a huge week with Tariq Cohen. I don't feel comfortable. If he's your flex guy, Oh man, sign me up for that. But I, I've, and I'm the Bears homer, guys. So just just yeah. for context, like I'm telling you because I know I pay very close attention. I wouldn't feel very comfortable drafting him very early. He's still the first Bears running back I have off the board, but barely. I have him at yeah. 65 and David Montgomery at 67. I'm not owning either of these guys. I'm just investing in Mike Davis late, knowing that Mike Davis is probably not a guy that's going to be on my team in weeks 10, 11, 12, but yeah. he could have an impact for me early in the season. I just don't know. Like I, I just – they. There's a lot of talent on this Bears offense, and that's a good thing for the. That's a good thing for the Bears. It's a good thing for Page. Yeah, it's not a good thing for fantasy owners. Yeah, I will not own a lot of stock in in Bears, like territory for fantasy perspective. I will have. I always have one Bear on my team. That's my rule, right? I always have one guy, but it's probably gonna be Allen Robinson, right? Yeah, and that's that's the guy I feel. That's the, the most production I feel the most comfortable with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, this one comes from our very own. Draft Network, the Joe Marino on oh, Twitter. I don't want to answer that that guy's question. <laughs> well, this is from something he already did, so oh. he's really just looking for approval oh. or disapproval. Okay. Am I stupid yes, for drafting Nick, just kidding. Chubb, I love you, Joe. Nick Chubb in the first round of my fantasy draft? Will we look back on 2019 and see Chubb in the top 10 of fantasy points for running backs? So I have Nick Chubb number 12 for me right now, so I think it's fine depending on where you were. Um, the running back situation is all is, is really up in the air. I know I'm super high on Gurley. A lot of people aren't. I'm really high on Dalvin Cook. Some people aren't as high. I'm really low on David Johnson. Nobody's as low as I am on David Johnson in the industry. I mean, yeah. just, it is what it is right now. So this back end of the first round trying to find your RB1 is kind of a guessing game. Nick Chubb is going to have a lot of opportunity. He's going to catch some passes in the backfield. Again, I have a slight concern about Kareem Hunt. Not that Kareem Hunt's going to come in and take the job. But when you're talking about having your RB1 and potentially losing seven or eight touches per game to Kareem Hunt, again, most of those touches are going to come from Dontrell Hilliard, but some of them are going to come from Nick Chubb when when Kareem Hunt comes back. It concerns me that all of a sudden I go from a 20-touch-per-game guy to a 15-touch-per-game guy for the fantasy playoffs. That concerns me a little bit. But is that any riskier than Joe Mixon and no offensive linemen and what we're thinking about David Johnson and – Leonard Fournette's injury history, like, is that any more risky than any no, of these other probably guys? Not. I, I mean, I think you and I both, neither one of us has him projected as a top 10 running back. You have him 12. I think I have Well, 12 him overall. You have oh, finished among the top 10 running backs. Yeah, so top, top 10 player? Top 10. Probably he, not. Just probably not. Yeah. Top 10 running back, yes, in fantasy points. Top 10 overall, uh, no. There will be wide receivers uh, and potentially a quarterback that make that list. Uh, okay. At Rise Up Ryan KC. In a 12-team standard scoring league, I'm going to say this right now, 
Why do any of you play in standard I know, scoring it's leagues? I am very offended by anybody playing in these standard scoring leagues. Uh, but moving on, what advice do you have for teams picking later in the first round? Like picks 10 to 12. Uh, I assume you pick in a snake draft, right? So you're going back to back if you're anywhere for 10 through 12. Actually, usually if I'm in my in my high school league, there's 12 of us. And I actually like picking in that range because I like picking back-to-back because I always usually end up getting a a running back and a wide receiver that I really like, or I go running back, running back, and I get two really, really good running backs that I like. Jamie, if you're at pick 10 through 12, what what are we looking at? Well, in most leagues, a lot of those running backs go high. So I will take the wide receiver value there. You can probably get the number one and number two wide receiver on your board. You can probably get two of the Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, uh, and DeAndre Hopkins in that spot, and then kind of find value later. Because people, even in standard leagues, if they're, if they're looking at the draft rankings and most people's rankings, they're going to be looking at half PPR rankings. Yes. So there's going to still be value to be had there for guys like Chris Carson, for guys like Philip Lindsay, for guys like that that are just not, you know, rank people aren't going to adjust in their mind that those guys get a lot of their production without catching balls, so they're way more valuable in this league. Um, I hate not getting a running back there. Yeah. And if somebody falls to you, if again, Todd Gurley, I would love in that spot if he falls to you. Yeah, if he's there, take him. But if there's a running back run there and all of a sudden you're sitting there and the top 10 running backs are off the board or by the time you pick, you got to just take the top two receivers on the board and say, look, I'm going to have a massive advantage at that spot no matter what and figure it out later. Yeah, you got to figure out, like I said, it's, t- it's tough to project out what's going to happen in your league. But if there is a, if there's any of our guys, you know, check out the rankings. That's the best way to, to know what we would be doing, right? If you're looking at the top 200 and you go to the draftnetwork.com, you can see the rankings. You can kind of project out and see where we would be drafting. So that's your, that's your best way to really take us into the draft with you is just have those rankings with you. That way you can see like, okay, I'm, I'm at 10 overall and Jamie has a player at five. That's available now at ten. I should probably take that guy, right? Yeah. That's that's the best way to do this because as of right now, I can't tell you who's going to pick, and you don't know that either. But I, I we can only make our best guess, and the best way to do that is to just bring bring the bring the old rankings with you, and then yes. you have us with you drafting. And, and keep in mind, my rankings are set; they're optimal for twelve team half point PPR. I mean, you can this, you can use the top two hundred for any number of teams. The teams yes. don't matter, but half point PPR formats. In a full-point PPR format, they don't really change very much. There might be one or two rankings differences here and there. Um, there would be some significant changes for standard leagues, so those are the questions I would encourage you to ask us Yeah. Um, if you have the standard league questions. But if you're in any sort of PPR format, the top 200 on draftnetwork.com will pretty much answer your questions. Take that into your mock draft, see how it feels, start to see how you feel, start to see which players drop. Look, I realize like where I have David Johnson – and where I have Ezekiel Elliott and where I have Melvin Gordon, those aren't going to be where they go in drafts. They're going to go way higher than I have them. But just know that you don't have to be the one that grabs those guys at yeah, that spot. It's, re- it's a comfort level thing. All right, this one comes from uh, Brandon Buck, 88 loyal listener to the TDN uh, Fantasy Podcast. Thank you, Brandon. Do you think people put too much stock into how players in the preseason, players look in preseason and training camp, a.k.a. this player has looked amazing in camp? This yes. is a great question. Yes, yes and no. no. Yes and no. Because you, you depends on who we're talking about, right? Yeah. It does, and, and I think that this we're both huge baseball fans. This comes yeah. up a lot during spring training, which yeah. is more glorified preseason than even the NFL's. Absolutely. The 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 common narratives that say preseason doesn't matter, spring training doesn't matter. But it's a mistake to say it never matters. It's a mistake to say that we don't learn anything from it. 
a lot of times we just don't know. And you, sometimes there are things that we, that are false flags and, and it doesn't matter when it happens in the regular season, but to completely disregard it as nothing matters is just as bad as saying everything matters. Correct. There are certain things. I'm not so worried about preseason games unless you're talking about roster bubble guys, which are usually not big for fantasy purposes. But let's say you're, you know, a LaShawn McCoy owner or you're right now Carlos Hyde, who I think is is very much on the roster bubble in Kansas City. If you if you own one of those players or trying to draft one of those players, yes, then their performance in the preseason matters. I do think camp overall performance matters. When you are hearing consistently from beginning to end that a player is really having success or really having failures, not ups and downs, not the normal, you know, ebbs and flows. But let's talk about a Philip Lindsay from last year, where we heard from day one of camp all the way to the end of the preseason that this guy is special, he's going to have a role. If you ignore that, it's, ah, oh, he's not draft the guy and, and preseason doesn't matter. Guess what? You missed out on Philip Lindsay. Yeah. When you hear something that, hey, this guy is really not playing well, and there are a lot of concerns about him, you have to be aware. And this year, that guy is David Johnson for me. Is yes. Everywhere I turn, everybody that I talk to that is around the organization, in the know, knows everybody is telling me the exact same thing without me bringing it up about David Johnson. Is that he's not finishing runs, he's shying away from contact, and there's some concern there. That scares me. Because yes. if that's not changing at any point and in practice or in the preseason, that scares me. If people say, man, this guy's really, really dominating. You really have to watch out for what they're doing. You got to move them up. You got to consider them a little bit more. So, n- no, you can't take everything that happens. You can't take one big preseason performance. But if you have to look at the step back and look at the overall picture and say, is there a consistent pattern with a player or players that are really performing strongly in camp or really performing under expectations in camp? And say, how does that apply to me? Yeah, especially when you're looking at like a new offense, a uh, quarterback change, for instance, in Denver, you're watching things. It's and I would say it's not it's not as much preseason. It's the it's the totality of training camp, along with preseason games, along with what the beat reporters are saying, along with what people within mm-hmm. the organization are saying. That matters, right? Yeah. That in totality matters. One bad preseason outing. One great preseason outing, not as much, right? Yes. But definitely pay attention to the themes that come about from the camp and training camp and all the games together. That's what matters. Don't scout the box scores of preseason games. They're not going to tell you anything. No. Listen to what's coming out of camp. Listen to what they're talking about, what roles are going to be, what usages are going to be, how they're performing overall. Because that stuff does matter. Because... That's what the coaches are looking at. I think a lot of times we just assume coaches are going to use the same depth chart from last year and they don't care. It's not the case. If players outperform other players, they will move up and they will move around. And that's where you can get your true values of who is really killing it in camp, who's really having a strong camp that has a path to a role. That has to be a point, too. If it's the eighth wide receiver on the team that's having a good camp, that means he'll make the practice squad. Yeah, that's But if it's a third wide receiver that's in the fight for the slot job that's going to win the slot job now because he's playing really well – that's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. All right, we got this question from probably about 10 different people, so I'm not going to mention all of you. We got it a lot, right? Who do you feel most comfortable with at the number one overall pick? <sighs> Nobody? No. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, still, I'm still taking Saquon number one just because I think even as bad as that offense is going to be, that a lot of like the Evan Ingram argument, that the, the whole offense is running through him. He's going to get a ton of catches. He's going to get a ton of carries. The production's not going to be a problem. He's a workhorse. 
but I don't feel comfortable with anybody. Like, no. I, I mean, if you take Kamara there, that's fine. I like Kamara, but he's going to still be splitting time. He does hasn't hurt in the last few years, no. but it's a factor. Christian McCaffrey, love Christian McCaffrey. If you believe that his catching total is going down, I don't. But if you believe that, and you also believe he might lose one or two goal line series per game, or maybe one goal line series per game, or two goal line series every four weeks, whatever it is, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna prevent him from being the number one guy. So, to me, I think you have to look at the floors, and I still think the top three guys still have a much higher floor than. Everybody else around them, yeah. including Zeke right now, just because he's not in camp. Yeah. I, honestly, I'd feel comfortable taking either of the three people that was just yeah. mentioned. I, I Personally, I have gone back and forth with, if I end up with the number one overall pick, who would I take? I, I today, right, today, if I was drafted today, I'd probably take Christian McCaffrey number one overall. Really? In my okay. He's team. clearly three for me. Yeah. So I, I think it's, and maybe it's because I have talked to a lot of people in Charlotte, right? And I've been staying on top of that one pretty closely, um, and the Saquon stuff continues to concern me, right? The, I, I think I, I project the Carolina Panthers to be a much better football team and a much better offense than I do the New York Giants, and that is continuing to put Saquon, as talented as that guy is, if you're down in football games, you're not running the football a lot. And it's making me drop it. If you, if you take Saquon number one overall, I won't fault you. Yeah. There's a good chance he ends up being the number one overall guy. Listen, like I said, Kamara – the, the backs are there. We know. We've seen it. We've seen him split carries with guys before. None of yeah. that has ever mattered. I think those three are going to end up in a 1-2-3 in some format. I'm just telling you today, if I was picking today in my PPR league, right, I would take Christian McCaffrey. That's 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 who I'm most comfortable with. Um, all right, this one. So we didn't help you at all. No, yeah, no. so I'm sorry. Uh, I know. That doesn't help you. You I Listen, I'm telling it, you exactly what I would do. I would take McCaffrey. I hate to say personal preference, but it is. It like, is. It's personal preference here. And who do you feel more comfortable with? At that spot. I don't think Saquon Barkley, put it this way, he's not going to run away with the number one spot. No. That offense will not allow him. The no. offense is going to limit his ceiling. The question is, is, is his floor any lower than the other guys? It might not be. Yeah. So, take a chance on whichever one you feel most comfortable. Yeah. If you're a fan of one of those three teams, and that, that might be the tiebreaker you use. Yeah. That, hey, I, you know, I live in New Orleans. I want to take Camara one. I live in Charlotte. I want to take Kim McCaffrey one. I live in New York. I want to take Saquon one and complain all season. Do it. Yeah. All right, this one comes from Chris Medina on, on Twitter. In a keeper league where I have the option of keeping Thielen as my ninth round pick or Lockett as my tenth in standard scoring, not PPR, which one would you choose? Thielen. Yeah. Um, I, I like Lockett. Either one is good value. Yes. Oh, yeah, they're both good value. It's yeah. still Thielen for me, as concerned as I was about his performance in the second half of the year and the fact they're going to run the ball a ton. I need to see what Lockett's target share looks like this year. This is this is why I don't have Lockett in any drafts. Like, I, where do I have him ranked here? Um, I have him stalling. I have him at number nineteen, and I'm still not comfortable with it. Like, I'm not going to have him anywhere. I want to see what his target share looks like because his touchdown to target ratio has to come down. It absolutely has to come down. That doesn't mean he can't be more productive if he gets more targets. I need to see what that offense looks like now that he is truly. From day one of showing up at training camp, the number one guy in Seattle, I need to see what that looks like. I need to see what the new offensive coordinator looks like in Seattle. To me, Thielen, I have Thielen ranked significantly ahead of Lockett this year. I can't see that changing next year. All right, this one comes from at Gnome Sane Bruh. can I trust most in the 49ers backfield? Uh, Tevin Coleman. Yeah. Uh, I think his role is safer. Uh, he's had success with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta. So there, there's no 
issue there with the playbook or not knowing what the situation is or the coach not being familiar with the player. He's going to be the number one guy there. Um, I think Matt Breida will spell him a little bit. Maybe Matt Breida some weeks gets more carries but not more touches. I don't trust Jarek McKinnon at all. I know most starts there and there's some other pieces there. Uh, I think it's clearly Tevin Coleman for me. Like all right. I, and I, I see where I end up moving him up. I, I moved Coleman up to my number 35 running back. Yeah, so context there. Uh, I'm down on the 49ers offense in general. Um, I don't know. The, w- one thing where we just talked about taking into account what preseason and camp looks like, right? So Jimmy Garoppolo is a perfect example of somebody that the theme started a little bit last year in the regular season, okay? Coming off an injury, hasn't looked good in practice, hasn't looked good in preseason, I'm not like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to suck, right? Yes. But Jamie and I have always stayed in the camp of we don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Yes, and right? that's, that's all we've been saying. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying we don't know that he is good. And everyone just all of a sudden just accepted that he, this guy was a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. And all I'm saying is we don't know that yet. No. And by the way, we still don't know that yet. But, uh, and the 49ers don't know that, by the way. Just, just so we're clear, because if you're reading and paying attention to what's going on right now, Jimmy has not looked good, okay? And we're talking about, in general, all throughout camp, all mm-hmm. throughout practices. His preseason outing was atrocious. He should have thrown three picks. He threw one. I mean, it was about as bad as it could get for the first time you've seen him on the field since his ACL tear. I don't think he's going to be the worst quarterback of all time. But like I said, we don't know what we have in Jimmy G. And I know we got a ton of questions about 49ers in general. So just keep that context. Um, this one comes from David Munter on Twitter. Keeping carry-on or cup? Ha, alliteration. So which one – listen, we don't know where you're you're keeping those guys. I, you know – Assuming I, just you have to pick one. Yeah, assuming um, you just got to pick one guy. So I have carry-on Johnson higher than Cooper Cup. Carry-on's my number 42 to cup 50. Um, I think if you're looking at it for one year – it's definitely carry on, just because as much as I get him, the president of the Cooper Cup fan club. Yeah, um, we both were. He's still coming off the ACL. You expect some level of production drop just because of that until he's fully healthy. Um, if you look at carry on Johnson too, I am the way I've drafted this year is I'm more concerned about running backs than I am receivers. I feel like there's a ton of really good receivers late. Like, I mean, I already did my my 12 team draft now with extra bench spots and extra flex play. And there are still wide receivers on the waiver wire, like Kenny Stills, like Hunter Renfro, uh, like Travis Benjamin, that I kind of, David Moore, that I want to pick up. I just yeah. don't have any roster spot room for them. So to me, I think if you have to, if you, you're looking at a tiebreaker or guys that are really close like this in the same round, you got to go with the running back. Even though I'm not super high on Kerryon Johnson, I still think he's going to be a damn good player for you. Yeah, and and for all the reasons Jamie just said with Cooper Cup and the injury, we both had him last year, and when he was when he was playing, yep. man, he was a hell of a lot of fun to to have. But I just I had him ranked number thirteen going into last season. Like yeah. I was super high on him. He would have been a star, and he, he was is, outperforming that yeah. until he tore his ACL. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this one comes from Robert Fritz on Twitter. He wants to know how should we value the tight end position after Ertz, Kelsey, and Kittle. And who should we target after those three? So this is a good opportunity for you to go check out our rankings, right? So this would be a good option for you to go to draftnetwork.com, look at the overall tight end rankings, see where we have those guys. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I will not be drafting Ertz, Kelsey, or Kittle because they will go very, very early in every in every single draft that I have. Now, yeah. I think you should know by now, if you've been listening to the podcast, the tight end that I will most likely draft 
will be Jack Doyle and it will be very late and I will probably draft somebody else and mm-hmm. play two guys. Um, the other guy I got late yesterday in a mock draft was I think the 11th round. I got Vance McDonald. Felt very comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's, that's um, one of my, my guys too. That's going to be – those are like the two guys that I would pay attention to and, and get them later on after those three uh, who are clearly tier one. So in terms of valuation, and I don't think these guys are going to fall to you, but if they do – I'm looking at round seven if you want to reach the end of round six for Hunter Henry, Evan Ingram, O.J. Howard. That's that group. That's where you could take them. If you missed out on those three, so now you're outside the top six, I'm waiting till round at least round ten. Because yep. by round ten, you can grab the Vance McDonald. Jerry Cook's going to be gone, but I don't have him valued in the first nine rounds. But you can get a Vance McDonald. You can get an Austin Hooper. You can get a Jack Doyle. Um, again, if you're in like a 16-team league and you're like you're scrambling at the end, you know, Jordan Reed's going to be productive when he's on the field. I still think this is the year. If you're going to buy into Jimmy Graham, as this is the year in ADP to buy it in because he's not going to catch only two touchdowns this year if you're in a super deep league. But to me, those are only six tight ends I would take before the double-digit rounds, and we've gone over them ad nauseum. If you don't want to take Kelsey in the second, you don't want to take Ertz and Kittle in the second or third, try to see if you can get one of those other three in the sixth or seventh round. If not, wait to round 10 and beyond and pick from McDonald and Hooper and Doyle and, and company. All right, this is the last one here. This one comes from at Lee on Twitter. He wants to know, what the hell do I do in the 12th spot if the best running back option is Joe Mixon? So, meaning he gets to pick 12 and all the running backs that he likes are gone and the best available option is Joe Mixon. I don't know what wide receiver option mm-hmm. would be there, which, is, which yeah. would be my follow-up question because if the wide receiver that's available, I like a lot more then Joe Mixon, I'm probably taking the wide receiver, assuming you're going to snake around and you could probably get both of those guys, right? Yeah, um, so i got to figure out who he has there because I have Joe Mixon 11th for me, yeah. so I'm perfectly fine with taking him at 12. Um, obviously, I have David Johnson below him, so I'm assuming that he's going. But in that indication, if you can get any of the four, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, or Michael Thomas, you take that, that player at that spot. And then at that point, those are the only receivers I'm taking before I take Joe Mixon. Like I, I have some concerns about that offensive line. But A.J. Green's missed time and Joe Mixon's been fine. That team's been bad and Joe Mixon has been fine. fine. That's why I don't That know. offense is going to get better uh, overall. The offensive line being garbage and hurt scares the hell out of me. Yeah, but for sure. That's why we're not taking Joe Mixon 7th, 8th, ninth. That's why you're taking Joe Mixon at the turn. For sure. The turn is a good spot for you when you're in a 12-team league because, listen, Joe Mixon in the proper offense is a top-five talent from a running back perspective. The guy is – when I've owned Joe Mixon and he's – Super fun to own. He is very, he outperforms every year that I've had him thus far. He plays through injuries, right? He's a tough dude. He missed a couple weeks last year and came back. It's the opposite of the Leonard Fournette factor, right? Where he's pushing himself to play. I get that you have a little bit of concern because the same things we said about Saquon, we said about Cincinnati, but I like Cincinnati's pieces more than I like what's going on in New York, right? I, I, like, a little. I mean, the little. offensive line is. The uh, offensive line is garbage, but it's it's like everybody thinks Cincinnati is this outlier team that has no good pieces, and I just don't see that. Uh, Cincinnati is not a team that's in contention for the number one pick. I know people think they are. They're not, and and I'm not quite sure. I think that team is being considerably undervalued. Um, Again, one other question I want to get to because it was asked to me, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. Okay. Um, This is from our good friend Alex Smolikoff via text. Via text. Love it. (laughs) I hate myself. (laughs) But if I take Zeke at number four, so let's just say if you take Zeke in the first round, okay, okay, which backup of his do I draft and when? Because I think this is a question we're gonna you're gonna deal with a lot, especially if you're drafting this weekend. 
So I, I still Tony Pollard still the answer for me. I like Pollard over Alfred Morris. You see, we've heard the glowing reviews at a camp. Um, you know, he's had some he's some stumbles here and there, but he's he's a rookie. Uh, but I think he's the guy that you want. His ADP right now is at the end of round twelve. I wouldn't let him get to round ten. If you take Zeke, you have to invest a ninth or tenth round pick. You have to say, I gotta deal with this because I'm taking a massive risk by taking Zeke in the first round. You have to then overinvest, which is partly why I don't want to take Zeke there. Because yeah. then you have to overinvest into his handcuff. And I think you at this point you take Pollard in the ninth or tenth round and probably use your last round pick on Alfred Morris and you don't draft the kicker and you sit back and wait and see how this shakes out. And then you make maneuvers right before week one. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is happening too because, like, people have brought up examples to me of, oh, well, I took Le'Veon in the first round last year and then I got James Conner in the last round. Listen, guys, Tony Pollard's not going to be there for you in the last round. It's not going to happen. Well, people and also, are, people are skittish from Zeke last year. Zeke isn't sitting out the whole year. I yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So, I, I listen, if, if Ezekiel Elliott was in camp, I would argue, and I have. But he'd be my number one player. He's he's the answer to the who's the most safe. It's him. But it's not now. No, it's not now. And he's not there. And each day that goes by, it makes me a little bit more nervous because Jerry Jones doesn't lose battles, people. And he is battling in in the media, in the forefront. But he's going to lose football games if he doesn't get the stuff done. 100%. I mean, the Jalen Smith contract's nice. I love Jalen Smith. Awesome story. Awesome player. Deserves every penny he got. But... This t- again, you, running backs are replaceable unless you build your entire offense around yeah. them. And they decided they made an effort to build their entire offense around Zeke. Not only when they took him with the number with the top three pick, but when the way they actually have structured their offense. If they want to win a Super Bowl this year, which Jerry always says he wants to win a Super Bowl, they can't do it without Zeke. Period. End of story. They will not win a Super Bowl. They will not win the division. They might not even make the playoffs without Zeke. Yeah, I. It's going to be an interesting – it's an interesting thing to pay attention to. I know that people listen. I cannot fault you for gambling on taking Zeke. Like, let's say people are asking at that 12 turn, right? If Zeke's still there, I can't fault you for doing it because when Ezekiel Elliott is on the field, he's the best running back in the league. He's the most dynamic. He's a workhorse. He plays through everything. But this is such a scare right now, and the longer it goes, the more they talk, the more concerning it gets – and the more fractured the relationship seems to mm-hmm. become. And that is frightening in light of what happened last year. I do not think that Ezekiel Elliott is going to take a year off like Le'Veon Bell did. But what I would warn you is it happened. So now, if it happens again, it will it will, it will will not scare me. And I will not be like, oh my god, I can't believe it happened because Le'Veon Bell did it. The, the, the question is, too, is how many games do you think he might miss? Because at this point, I have him as a late second-round pick in my, in my league, which basically tells me... I expect him to miss two or three games. Okay. That's what that's what, basically what I'm saying. I'm assuming if this was a two two or three game suspension, where would I have Ezekiel Elliott? And that's kind of where I have him now. So I'm comfortable if you say, okay, well, I think he's only going to miss a week or two, then you take him in the middle of the second round. But to rest a first round pick in him, you're basically saying he's going to be on the field week one. Yeah. Or he's going to be on the field week two. Yeah, I'm not Because any like other that. result than him, than, than him getting 20 touches in week two, it's not worthy of a first-round pick. Yeah, it's uh, – listen, I've gotten a ton of questions about this. Where do you feel comfortable? The answer to that question is I don't feel comfortable. That's the answer to the question. I, I It's quite simply, until Ezekiel Elliott is at the Cowboys facility, I do not feel comfortable drafting Ezekiel Elliott because I know that there is no way in hell he's going to drop far enough to where I would feel comfortable to take him. Because I just know, I know the name means enough and people are going to draft him high because he is there. 
very similar to what happened with Le'Veon Bell last year. I was like, I am not taking Le'Veon Bell, and he went in the first round of every draft that I was in. Zeke will probably go in the first two rounds of every draft that I draft in, and I know that. And I know that that will not be me. And I can probably bet you that it will not be Jamie, and it will not be Jake that are doing those in those drafts, uh, because we are all a little probably even more concerned than maybe everybody else is. And I know that Cowboys land is like freaking the hell out because now you have the Dak stuff. You have this stuff. You have Mari Cooper's not just going to start practicing mm-hmm. right in, in another week. It's going to be. So listen, this team went from a team that we all like to a team where we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Look, and just, this is very different and it's been what almost 30 years, but if we want, and I know he gets mad whenever we do this, but we're going to do it anyway because I don't care. Because Emmett Smith doesn't talk to me personally, so I don't care if I piss him off. <sighs> if we want to compare this to the Emmett Smith situation, and I know there's a lot of other things that are different, but let's use that as an example. He came back in week three, but didn't really see full-time share until week five. If you, that's what you expect from Ezekiel Elliott, which it's August 21st now. We're playing NFL games September 5th Yeah, is the opening night. Yeah, we're two weeks. But this Thursday, tomorrow, we're two, two weeks, weeks away. away. And so we're two and a half weeks away from the Cowboys starting the season. Again, I don't need Zeke to play any time. I just need him to be on the field. But he's also not going to show up two days before the first. You know, he's not going to show up on the Friday before game time and play. Or play his full touches. So at this point, you basically are saying, if you take him in the first round, that he's going to report to camp before there's an official NFL game. And if you're willing to take that risk, you do it. I'm and more power too. You know what? It might help you win your league. But the difference to me is... I would still take the chance in the second round. In the first round, it's too much risk for me. Because yep. in the second round, at least I've got my, my top player. I'm going to take my chances there. Because then if I take him 10th, let's say, or if I take him 4th, like my friend Smolikov is going to take him, how much value are you getting? Like if you took him 4th, let's say he was in camp, maybe he'd be the number 2 pick in most leagues. Yeah, but he could have been going So he filled two after, spots? That's what I'm saying. You're not getting any value. So you only get two spots worth of, of value for a guy that might miss time? Yeah, that like, doesn't I, make I just, sense. I can't do it. There's too much risk there. Yeah. Uh, all right, James. How can everybody follow you on social media and make sure they know where to find your rankings? Follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter, at J Eisner FFB on Instagram, and you can get my rankings every single Tuesday. We're going to have one more update this coming Tuesday for the preseason. And then right after that, we're going to get into week one rankings. They'll be there every week. TheDraftNetwork.com. Check it out. All right, guys, you can follow me at the underscore sports page with an I on both Twitter and Instagram. You can follow this show at TDN Fantasy underscore on Twitter and at TDN Fantasy on Instagram. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating. Working on merch, and we will get it to you when you screenshot and show us that you have given us a beautiful five-star review. Hope you all have a good Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.